Now today is uh, Stewardship Sunday. What comes to your mind when you hear the word stewardship? Anyone? Now if you've been attending a Methodist church long enough, you probably would think of Stewardship Sunday as connecting with money, right? And this is usually because that's when some Methodist churches will present the budget for the new financial year, which we will hear from our finance chair later on as well. And so today we will cover some biblical principles when it comes to the area of stewardship of money. But I also want to broaden our understanding of stewardship that there is a lot more than just stewardship of money. And that's why I've entitled today's sermon, How Much More? Stewardship, How Much More? Now, the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines stewardship as the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. In other words, first of all, implied by this is that we don't own it. It is someone else's property and it's entrusted to us to steward well for the persons uh, you know, uh, that is being entrusted to us. And so in our case, what are some things that God has entrusted to us for our care? God is the owner of all things. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything on earth belongs to Him. But yet, He has entrusted certain things to us. Here, I just want to highlight seven things that He has entrusted to us. There are many others, but I want to focus on seven. The first five, I'll go through rather quickly and I'll focus on the last two later on. First, obviously, is money. God has entrusted financial gifts to us. Secondly, God has given to all of us time. Third, talents, gifts, whether it's acquired or natural. Health, and health, I'm not just talking about the physical body, but also later on we'll see the mental, emotional part and spiritual positions of our hearts. There's family as well, both biological and spiritual. We are the spiritual family of God here at AMKMC. God has also given to us assignments that we need to steward. And then finally, God's very own presence. So when it comes to the first point, money, we typically impose our Asian value of saving onto the biblical framework. And as I see many of us Asians here, we like to save, right? And I must admit, saving is one responsible, one expression of a responsible, careful stewardship. It's important that we don't frivolously just spend excessively only on our own pleasures. We know, we understand that. However, we typically think that as long as we don't lose our capital, that's stewardship. As long as I don't lose my money, that's good stewardship. I'm sorry, but that is not entirely correct in the biblical accounts. If you understand Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, in the New Revised Version, the, ta- the parable of talents, if you understand this parable properly, it is really the servants, the two servants who multiplied the talents who were ultimately most rewarded and praised. I won't go through this very familiar passage. You can either follow uh, in the few Bibles or in your own um, online Bibles. But I'm using the NRSV, which uses the word talents. We are familiar with this story. A man, the owner, went away on a journey. He was entrusted to his slaves. That's the original word. Uh, five, one, five talents, second two talents, and the third one had one talent. The first two were very faithful. They multiplied. The first one who had five increased it to five more. second one who had two increased it to two more. The last one, however, was a wicked and lazy servant. We want to jump to verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. And so I was afraid and went to hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, huh? You knew, right? That I was so called according to your version, 
reap where I did not sow, scatter, gather where I did not scatter, then you ought to have invested my money at least, right, with the bankers, so that at least I can get back some interest. And so clearly, the master saw through this excuse, very lame excuse of this last slave. He was simply being lazy. And so he gave a very lousy excuse. Oh, you are a terrible man, master. If that were really the case, according to his own logic, then he should have at least been fearful and done something with it, but at least putting it in the bank. But clearly, it was a lame excuse, and the master was very sharp to point out that this was just being lazy. So, see how here, the preservation of capital by this last slave was seen by God as being wicked and lazy. Verse 26. Instead, if you understand the parable correctly, it is growing our capital. Capital. A term that is quite familiar in our modern world. It is not saving alone, but it's growing it that is being praised. Now, to be clear, I'm not trained in finance. I come from engineering background. I don't know many financial products. And I almost know nothing, uh, next to nothing about stocks and shares. So please do not take my sermon today as an endorsement for you to enter into the stock share and market share, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Well, pastors say you must grow your capital. No, I said it, but please do not take it as an endorsement to do something that's foolish. In fact, if you understand stewardship properly, you need to do your homework. Make sure you check first before you invest. It's not a gamble. And make sure, of course, it's not a scam. Okay, so please take it in light of what I'm saying in the whole proper context. Secondly, I want you to notice how the master at the very start at verse 15 gave to each servant according to their ability. So God was not being fair in the sense equal that everybody gets five talents. No. God knows that each one of us has different abilities and he gives to each one the number of talents according to their ability. So already at the onset, the servants or the slaves had a very different starting place. One had five talents, one had two, one had one talent. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? We all have different starting points in life. Some are born richer, some are more uh, talented. It's the natural state of affairs. That's the reality we must accept. That life is unfair. We don't like to see it that way, but the reality is that life is unfair. But God knows what he's doing. God is the best steward of all. He knows exactly how He created us. He knows how to give to each one according to their abilities. So we mustn't be that, like that last servant who probably thought to himself, yeah, I only have one talent. If only I had more talents, I could have invested and grown my money more. Some of us probably think like that. If only I've been blessed by like this other person, I could have, do, I could have done so much more for the kingdom of God. Really? You know, the, the English word here used by the New Revised Standard Version is talent. But actually, it means a huge bag of gold. I don't know how much a huge bag of gold is worth today, but surely it is not a small amount at all. It is not a few pitiful coins. It is still a sizable amount of money that the last servant was entrusted with. And yet, he was being lazy and he didn't use it. So really, he had no excuse not to steward and to grow whatever God has given to him. Third, I want to point out in this parable that the master praised both the servants in the exact same manner. He says to both the first two slaves, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And so God didn't say that the first servant was better than the second. He praised two of them exactly in the same way. And that tells us, that God will hold each of us accountable for what He has entrusted to us. 
God does not compare in absolute terms. Hey, how come you only earn two more? You should have earned five more. No, he doesn't do that. He does not compare in absolute terms, but in relative terms. So for example, if you had $100 to begin with, God is not going to judge you and say, why didn't you earn $10,000 like the other man whom I gave $10,000? No, he's going to judge you on why do you not grow this $100 to have another 100 Similarly to the one who has 10000 God will not say, hey, how come you only earn 100 No. In fact, he will hold us to a higher standard of accountability. Why do you not generate another 10000 And so if you put all these points together, essentially, God will hold us accountable for what he has entrusted to us. And that means those of us will be more richly blessed. We have a greater responsibility. You hear that? You may not like to hear that. But that's the truth. Those of us who have been more richly blessed, we have a greater responsibility, so-called in absolute terms, to generate more profit or invest it better, to care for those in need. That is why in another story that Jesus told about Lazarus, the beggar and the rich man, the rich man was severely condemned because he did nothing about the beggar who was sitting at his doorstep daily. He had so many resources, so much money, but he did not help his fellow servant, his fellow brother, right, who was a beggar at his doorstep. By the way, this is the lesson that our Sunday school class leader ones are learning this morning, and I know it because my wife is teaching the class. And so as a church, we need to reflect on this as well. We have been richly blessed as a church. We have grown from strength to strength by God's grace for the past 45 years. This is our 45th anniversary. But with greater blessings come greater responsibility. For example, compared to a smaller church of say 50 to 100 packs, as the larger church, we have a greater share of the pie, of the responsibility to be a blessing to the community. Do we recognize that as well? Now this principle of God holding us accountable for what he has entrusted to us is also why tithing was instructed by God. The word tithe is an old English word which simply means 10%. A tenth. And so God didn't require us, you know, to give to him in absolute terms, that everybody must give the same amount. No. Instead, he made it relative. Each of us, in the Old Testament, you have different sizes of harvest. Some will have more harvest, you know, in terms of crops compared to others. But each one is to give that 10%, that relative 10%. So the reality is that we do not all start off on the same platform. Some of us will have five talents, some two, some one talent. But God will hold us accountable to all that he has entrusted to us. And so tithing for me, if I understand it from the biblical point of view, is simply that 10% of whatever God has entrusted to us from a finance point of view. Now as a young Christian, I was taught very early on about this principle. And so when I received an allowance in back those days as a student, uni students, 200, I gave 20. 20 doesn't sound like a lot, right? But if you don't begin to start having this practice when you're young, when eventually the pay comes when you earn thousands, the hundreds, the 10% will be difficult to give. And if you earn 10,000, that thousand will be difficult to give. But once you start with this spiritual discipline from young, it's almost automatic. And so now when I think, come to tithing, I don't even think about it. I don't even pray about where I need to give. For me, that's the basic. Straight away, 10% is to the Lord. Then I pray about the additional, where God may be leading me to give. And so I've covered very broad principles when it comes to the stewardship of money. Let me go on to the other points, which kind of are all really interrelated, as you will see later on. Second area that God has given to us to steward is in the area of talent. Playing on the word talent that is in the NRSV, 
Let's not forget that God also holds us accountable for the gifts, the skills that He has given to us. Like I said, some are natural gifts, some are talented in certain ways, naturally, but there are many other gifts and skills that we acquire over time. I think that's the majority. Most of our skills are through training, through schooling, that we acquire these things. I once preached a sermon, use it or lose it. If you don't use the gifts that God has given to you, you will surely lose it. And like all those of you who are sportsmen or musicians, you know, if you don't keep practicing, you will naturally decline. The only way you can grow in a certain skill is to use it regularly. And so when it comes to stewarding our talents, how do we be responsible? It really means using it regularly. In the context of talents, it's our regular usage that is responsible usage. Otherwise, we will be judged as wicked and lazy. Third area, time. And here I want to highlight an excellent point brought up at our recently concluded church camp by one of our former LCC chairs, Dr. Hing King Boon. So that night, we were sharing what the Lord impressed upon all of us, to maybe speaking to us as a church. And he spoke about this point. He said, what we need as a church is not just radical generosity, Radical generosity of money, which Pastor Iman will preach about next week, but radical generosity of time. Giving time generously. In busy, affluent Singapore, I think time may be a more precious and rarer community, commodity compared to money. For many of us, it's probably easier to give money than to give time, <laughs> if we dare to be honest about it. In fact, can I say this? Some of us might even prefer to give money so that we don't have to give time. <laughs> I'll return to this point later when I talk about you know, ministries in church, especially the Friends at Hub ministry at Amokyo Hub. But time. Time is one thing that God has given to all of us which we need to steward well. Next area is family. God has not created us to be solitary creatures. If that's the case, then we don't need to steward relationships. But God has instead given to us both biological and spiritual families. And so we are also to be responsible for these that God has entrusted to us. Take those of us with adult children, for example. By this stage, we know that we no longer can decide or influence our adult children. At the AM service especially, you see all the nodding heads. Oh, very sad. You know, they can no longer influence and impact their children, adult children. And so I want to say to those of you younger parents, you only have this short window to steward your children in God's ways. Proverbs 22, verse 6, we like to say, train your child in the way of the Lord, when the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And so we really only have this very short window as young parents to steward our children. One day, they'll become like us, adult who don't really listen to our own parents. Right? Now, listen carefully as well. It is really not realistic, again, young parents, to expect a Sunday school lesson one and a half hours a week to do wonders where we as parents spend at least two to three hours a day with them at home seven days a week, minusing their schooling hours, we at work, we have at least two to three hours maybe with them every day. How do we use these hours compared to the one and a half hours of Sunday school? Surely common sense will tell us as parents we have the greater responsibility to steward and disciple our children. Of course, we thank God for all these Sunday school teachers, youth groups, leaders and stuff like that. But these are supplementary. The primary responsibility of discipleship and stewardship for our children lies with us as parents. 
But beyond those of us who are parents, really our entire family as well as extended families, siblings, these are also God's blessings to us. I know many of us are filial and good job on that. And so just as a reminder for all of us not to forget our biological families, we need to be responsible to them uh, as God's steward for all these, our loved ones too. Now, these topics, <clears throat> they're so huge, I won't go into depth today. But I want to tell you what's coming up in the month of July, Family and Life Month. I invited three wonderful speakers. First of all, Jason Wong. That's for Life, Elijah, 7,000 Fathering Movement. He's coming to speak. And then Dr. Chai Fong Fong, who's our track vice president. But she's also very passionate for families and children. She's uh, involved in the D6 conference. Those of you who know Deuteronomy chapter 6, to bring up a child in God's ways. And so I invited her as well. And then finally, Pastor Jenny Huan, a champion for women and moms. So I invited her again to speak. And so these are our three speakers lined up for July. Hopefully, God will use them you know, to, to speak to us. How can we grow better in, in the stewardship of families? So today, I just want to broaden our understanding of families beyond the biological to the spiritual. And it is therefore applicable to all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the term that the Bible uses for us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means we are God's family. I say it over and over again that the heart of the Methodist class meeting is to watch over one another's soul in love. We are also to be accountable for each other's spiritual walk. It is not just the cell leader's responsibility to shepherd you. The reason why many cell leaders get tired is because the cell members think, oh, it's only their job. (laughs) But what I'm trying to reclaim in the Methodist class meeting is to help us, all of us, see that we are together responsible for the spiritual state of all those entrusted to us in the same small group and cell group. And so if we see a brother or sister struggling in the faith, don't just tell the cell leader, cell leader, can you go and call this person? No, take it upon yourself. I can do something too. I can also share a text of encouragement, you know, whatever the Lord may guide you to do. Let's see it as our corporate responsibility to support and lift up fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so again, that's why, another reason why I entitled today's sermon, Stewardship, How Much More? Because stewardship is not just an individual task, but it's also a corporate responsibility for us. A quick reminder to all those of us who attended church camp especially, we also have an additional corporate responsibility to steward what we learned and experienced at church camp to bring back to the rest of the congregation who somehow will not have the opportunity to go. For example, the pledge to be a missional church, to be a missional community, to be a bridge, to be a blessing, to be a catalyst. These were the lessons we learned from church camp how then do we steward these wonderful lessons and teach it to the rest of church who were not able to be there? So that's how we should steward the things that God has given to us and trusted to us with brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Next area, the fifth area, talking about health. Now here, some of us, you know, I think will not like what I have to say, but I need to say anyway that we have a responsibility to take care of this body, to take care of what we eat, no more durian fiesta, sorry. Every day cannot eat the buffet, stuff like that. Take care of what we drink. We cannot always take all the sweet drinks. And whether we exercise regularly or not. Of course, I know life is a lot more complicated than that. But I also need to say that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we need to take sufficient care of it. To serve well for the Lord, we need to take care of our bodies. 
I also know I'm not being naive that many health conditions are beyond our control. So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not blaming or shaming anyone why you're in bad health. That's not my intention at all. What I'm trying to say simply is that we mustn't neglect the stewardship of our bodies as well. And when I say stewardship of our bodies, I don't just mean our physical bodies because we also need to steward our mental, emotional state, our inner posture of our hearts. These are connected with us. We cannot divorce our bodies from our mind or our feelings, our psychology. Together, we must steward this body, this mental state, everything that God has entrusted to us. Especially the inner posture of our hearts. The inner posture of our hearts, whenever we come towards God, do we prepare ourselves for worship? Do we prepare ourselves for cell group? Do we prepare ourselves for mission trips and so forth? Do we prepare the inner posture of our hearts? Remember the parable of the soil where the farmer sold seeds in four different soils? And the parable teaches us that it is our responsibility to cultivate the good soil of our hearts, that God's word, when it's being preached, it will take root and grow. Since COVID, I started a little bit of gardening as my little hobby. I'm not a great gardener. My plants have died. Many plants have died. Okay, but I learned one important lesson through all my failures. I need to regularly fertilize the soil and loosen the soil. Then the seed will grow. But if I just leave the soil there and just water and leave it under the sun, 100% almost guaranteed will die (laughs) because I did not tend to the soil. And if you do gardening, you will know that gardening, tending to the soil is hard work. It is hard work. And when it comes to our spiritual disposition and posture before the Lord, it's also hard work. It takes time to prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. So let's try to see now all these five elements at play. Now suppose you're so busy working, working 15 hours a day, because previously your mindset of stewardship is just about growing my capital. Pastor they say grow capital. I'm going to spend all my time working to grow my capital. And you see only from that point of view. So what does that mean? If all your time is devoted to just earning money, what does that mean in other areas of your life? It probably means you have little or no time at all for your families. If you're looking after an aged parent, that means you're being irresponsible. If you're married, it means you have little time for your spouse who has his or her own needs as well. If you're married with children, it means you have little time for your children. And if you somehow manage to squeeze out time for these relationships, both biological and spiritual, and you still manage to go to cell group, it probably means you don't have enough time to exercise rest properly, have a good mental state. And so when you go to cell group, oh, exhausted. Sounds familiar? <laughs> We've all been there, including myself. After all, we only have 24 hours a day. And the most likely consequence is that we all push God to the tiniest corner of our lives. No time really. What? I already tried my best to steward, steward, steward. Where's God? Nah. <laughs> Tuck in the corner. And so when you obviously, when that's the case, you go to a cell group, how's your work with God? Mm, nothing to share. <laughs> that's the reality, isn't it? How do I know this? Again, it's because of the same mistakes I made in my own life. So-called even working as a pastor, there are times I neglect my work with God. And so I recognize the challenge we live in a very busy world of Singapore. And so this sermon is not just for you, it's also for me as a wake-up call. We must recognize that we cannot keep running at breakneck speeds and suffer no consequences. There will be consequences 
to every action and inaction, there are consequences. And so this brings me to the final two areas where most of us as Christians, we tend to neglect because we can barely stay afloat in the earlier five areas when we have no time even you know, to do look after our own families, much more time with the Lord. But these two important areas I need to bring to our attention. First is assignment. The sixth area of stewardship is the stewardship of assignments. Pastor Hanson spoke at our Together conference last year, if you remember, and the theme that he uses comes from the, for the Archippus Awakening Ministry is Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And so implied in this verse are two ideas. Number one, God has given to all of us assignments and ministries as an individual, but also as a corporate body, Amokyo Methodist Church. Second, is implied in this verse, is that it is possible not to complete the ministry. If not, why tell him to see to it that you complete the ministry? So clearly, it is possible for us to fail our assignment and not complete the ministry that God has given to us. At this point, you probably think to yourself, okay, pastor, I hear you, but what is my assignment? What is my assignment? If I don't know my assignment, how do I still wait it? And some of us, being lazy, you think to yourself, I better don't know my assignment. If I don't know my assignment, then I don't need to steward it, right? Then God cannot hold me responsible. Wrong. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right? It doesn't work that way. In fact, God probably asks you, why did you ask and spend time seeking me for your assignment? Very often, we want pastors or prophets to tell us our assignments. Oh, pastor, you just tell me, lah, then I'll do it. I'll take it as God's assignment. But really, I think that's another way of us expressing laziness. Instead of taking time, paying the price of seeking God, hearing God for ourselves, what is His assignment for us, we just want the quick way out. Just tell me and I'll do it. Now that's not the way to do discipleship. We need to pay the price of seeking God for ourselves, to hear God for our own assignments, as well as the church. It's always easier to hear from an anointed and visible person compared to an invisible God. If you speak to a visible person, even if the answer is no, you get a response almost immediately. But when it comes to praying and seeking God, I can tell you, you can wait for months or even years before you hear something. And that's the challenge. But still, that is the assignment. I think we need to recognize that God requires us to spend time seeking His face. At the church camp, Joseph Chen was very cute. He said this, we often approach God this way. Here, God, I give you 30 minutes. If you don't show up, bye. See you next week. We treat God like a doctor at best because we still respect God. God is God. I give you 30 minutes. Huh? At worst, we treat God like a vending machine. Not even 30 minutes, 30 seconds. If you don't show up, God, I'm gone. That's not the right attitude when it comes to hearing God. What God really treasures are friends who tarry in His presence, who learn to wait and spend time with Him. And that's the thing that God has given to all of us, the most precious gift of all, His presence. And that is what we need to learn to steward, to steward God's presence. If you forget everything else in this sermon, just remember this one point. Let us grow in our faithfulness to steward God's presence, to seek His face. As we are also being reminded at church camp, God told Moses in Exodus 33, after the golden calf idolatry incident, God was angry. He said to Moses, I will send my angels ahead of you to help you enter the promised land, to clear all the Canaanites, but I will not go with you. 
I myself, I will not go with you. And so from this short conversation, we learn that it is possible to fulfill God's mission or even reach God's promised land without God himself. To put it differently, we can be on mission with God without the master. It's totally possible. You can even know what your assignment is and fulfill it without God. But look at Moses' reply in verses 15 to 16. He prays, If your presence, God, does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And so Moses recognizes even more important than the assignment is God himself. If God, you don't come with us, no point in us going in. The assignment is doomed. Moses understood that God's presence is the most important thing that he has entrusted to us. And we live in the New Testament era. All of us have free access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit has been poured upon us. Do we recognize this is what we've been given to steward? Do you know a non-Christian can very well excel in the early areas without God? You probably know people like that. Someone who is very good at earning money. Someone who is using the talents very well. Someone who has time to do even volunteer work, grassroots work. They have good relationship with their families. They are in great physical and relational health, even better than us, some of us Christians. Maybe you know someone like that. And so I'm telling you, it's entirely possible to steward so-called even these five areas without God. And they can have a very purposeful life, better than us, some of us aimless, <laughs> don't know what to do with our lives. And so there are lots of good people, successful people out there. But the difference is that we carry the presence of God. And that's what, that's what sets us apart. And so we need to really learn how to steward God's presence as His people. Sandwiched between these two conversations, between Moses and God, is this editorial note in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 to 11. I just read verse 7 and then later on we'll jump to the other end. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. We jump to the end. The Lord will speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses will return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So notice it's called the tent of meeting. It's not the tent of assignment, <laughs> the tent of blessing. It is a tent of meeting where God encounters Moses. It's a relationship. And notice how the Lord will speak to Moses face to face as a friend, as with a friend. We all have friends that we look forward to talking to, right? That's what Moses was like to God. God saw Moses as someone he could unburden himself, talk to him without a mask because the friend will accept us for who we are. And so Moses had this privilege. And we too have actually this privilege. But we are not stewarding this privilege properly. Very often we get the order wrong. Instead of prioritizing God's presence, we leave it to the very corner at the very last. So while we all theoretically know that this is the most important dimension, in reality, our boxes are so filled, right? That we want to put a big box of God, a big rock of God, eh? no space. Never mind. When actually God should always come in first. And then from there, you have no space for certain assignments or certain things. Everything becomes clear. 
And so really there's so much more to stewardship than just good use of money, investing it well, growing well, blessing people with what God has blessed us with. Above all, we must learn to steward God's very presence. We must make time with God our highest aim and priorities. Now I have here a stack of journals I've kept since I was a young Christian. You can hear the weight. So, I mean, it's not full. I wish it was totally full, but it's still sizable. And so I've kept journals since I was a young Christian. I remember one time, uh, I decided to check in my journal. You know, check in as a luggage. And then there was a delay. The luggage didn't appear. I was so freaked out. Because everything else in the luggage, I can buy. Clothes I can buy again, right? No matter how expensive, it doesn't matter. It's going to pass away. But these journals, they are my record of my time with the Lord. Since then, I never check in my journal anymore. It's always in my hand carry. I learned a very precious lesson. But these books record my time with the Lord. The stewardship of my time with the Lord. I know God did not make all of us alike. Not everyone delights in the spiritual discipline of journaling. So I'm not asking you to do that if that's not how God speaks to you. But I know one thing very clearly, that God desires for all of us to spend time with Him. Some of us may be a walk in the park, at a beach, come in spiritual conversations with friends, spiritual friends, whatever it is, some reading. But God wants us to learn to be in His presence. That's the thing that we all need to be reminded of today. When God is at the center, at the center of our lives, everything finds its meaning and purpose. Even ministry time. Let's say there are many good things really in this world. For example, you can spend time at the orphanage with children, helping them, right? But if there's no assignment, and if you're giving time and money to this cause, when God has assigned you, for example, to reach the seniors, then you're missing, you're not being a good steward. But if you hear from God, this is my calling and assignment then you will naturally devote your time and resources to the right place. You can do many good things, but it is not the God thing. It all begins with spending time with God. That's the only way we know how God will want us to spend our time, resources, health, balance our relationship, whatever it is, everything must begin with God at the center. I want to end this sermon by sharing the latest update on Friends at Hub and by extension, the Brothers at Heart Ministry as well at Amokyo Hub. Now, it is with a very heavy heart that I announce on behalf of the church leadership the closure or the conclusion, the ending of this chapter of our church's life. And our final Sunday at Amokyo Hub, Kete Cinema Hall, will be on the 23rd of July. 23rd of July. Later on, there will be some announcements on the details of this. Now, this decision marks the end of 15 years of using the cinema halls as our church's extension service. 15 years ago, in the old church building, some of you were here, most of you probably not, we faced limited seating capacity in the old church building because we were sharing one century among three churches. And so we started using Junction, Bishan, Bishan Junction 8 as an extension service. We needed it. During our church's reconstruction, we were thankful we had Amokyo Hub to house us. We used all seven halls. For two years. After the reconstruction, we continued using Amokyo Hub as a very good strategic outreach location, you know, for extension service, our simulcast service. And so all these locations have indeed served us very well over the years. 
Then the pandic, uh, pan, uh, pandemic hit, we stopped our simulcast service. As the COVID situation stabilized, we relaunched our ministry at Amokyo Hub, but with a different emphasis on outreach, outreaching to the community. Friends at Hub, therefore, later on, was birthed by God as a simple way to reach new friends, primarily through God's presence. We want to spend time worshiping God in His presence, hearing testimonies, praying for healing, and having you know real conversations with people. Not just one way talking, the pastor preaching like now, but you get time to talk to each other and pray with each other as well. Unfortunately, this ministry did not really gain much traction, despite us going out to the streets even to distribute flyers, to invite people. But somehow, it didn't really gain traction. But that's not the reason why we are ending this chapter of this ministry. You see, from a human and very strategic angle, there are really two possibilities. One, we can analyze the situation and say, okay, let's do better. Previously, we didn't devote enough time, resources, training, communications. Let's do it better this time around. Or, humanly, you can say, it's not value for money. It's a very expensive place to rent. It's dark and cold. Maybe it's not value for money, so let's close it. But as a leadership, we decided, let's not operate purely by human logic, because human logic can really be either way. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. And the way God led really struck me. You know, before I attended the prayer session, I was analyzing the situation as a leader. If we can just get new people in to serve, surely we can take off again. That was how I, I was thinking to myself as I approached the prayer meeting. I know I was thinking. But as we worship, I saw a vision of Jesus standing at the corridor of Amokyo Kete Cinema House. At first, I was very delighted because it was the start of the session, worshipping. And if I see Jesus there, it means His presence is there. Yes! That's a confirmation, man. Let's go! But then the strange thing was, Jesus kept standing there. I was like, hmm, this is strange. But never mind, we'll talk further, pray further. Along the way, someone raised the proposal. Maybe it's time to bring an end to this ministry. And so with that, together we brought this proposal to the Lord in prayer. And as I prayed, I saw myself like a little child coming to Jesus. In the vision, I knew I was bringing something precious to the Lord, something precious to me. But I needed to surrender it to Him. In my heart, of course, I knew it was the ministry at Amokyo Hub. After surrendering in the vision, I reached out my hand like a little child and Jesus took my hand and then he walked me out of there. And that's when I knew my heart. That's the end. I didn't expect it because I went in there with a different expectation. But God has his ways. So I knew it was the Lord because I knew it was not my own desire. I knew it was also the Lord because I had seen or heard God many times in my own walk with the Lord. Furthermore, out of the deep time of prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit, here's the amazing thing. Normally in church meetings, we have debates and discussion. We hardly can agree consensus for a big controversial decision like this. But remarkably, everyone was unanimous. And I can tell you, some of them went into the meeting in the same way as I thought before I entered the meeting. Let's do it better. But somehow, remarkably, we all ended the Lord's leading. It's time to turn the other page. Let's close this chapter. Serendipitously, by God's timing, we had also just concluded a book study on emotionally healthy leaders that talks about endings and new beginnings. Without an ending, there cannot be a new beginning. Finally, the confirmation was Joseph Chen himself. He was present as an observer that morning. I had given him several dates where, you know, last year he was guiding us as a leadership team how to hear from God. 
So this year I invited him back as the auditor to observe, check on us, make sure we are, you know, doing it properly, you know, guiding us in God's ways. So that morning he basically kept silent throughout because he was just observing. But suddenly he had this very strong prompting to share from John chapter 21. Now John 21, you can refer to your own Bibles. It's the account of Peter and some of the apostles going back to fishing despite encountering the resurrected Lord. They already see Jesus, you know, the resurrected Lord. Surely their life purpose will have been changed, right? But they went back to fishing and they caught nothing. It was only when Jesus appeared on the shore and told them to cast the net on the right side that they caught such a great amount of fish. Now, one of us in the prayer meeting rightly observed, actually, we have been fishing very hard too, not just overnight. We've been fishing for a year. We had some fruit here and there. We thank God. One or two you know, came to know the Lord. A family came to know the Lord and stuff like that. We are so thankful for that. But really, it was very tiring with very little fruit, almost like this story in John 21. Fishing all night, hardly caught anything. For, for me especially, of all the apostles that, you know, in the Bible, the person I identify with the most is Peter. Especially in my younger days, I was very reckless. I had a great faith in God, but I was reckless. I was the kind that would like Peter, I will never deny you, God. But in the end, later, I would deny him, you know, that kind. So that's me. I identify myself with Peter. Those who have prayed for me over the years often gave me prophetic words that I'm like Peter. So I could totally identify with Peter. You can check with Pastor Mihi, who basically watched me grow up. Evangelism is my gift. I have been bringing people to the Lord for years. I know how to fish. <laughs> I know how to fish. But yet, the Lord said, there's no fish. Peter, he knows how to fish. He's an experienced fisherman. But he caught nothing. And so when Joseph Chen shared John 21, I cried because I knew God was talking to me through the same account. I needed to let go and let God hear the new way that God is guiding and leading. It's not easy, but obedience to God is very important. It's particularly amazing for me how God brought me on this journey to that place of obedience. Because God knows that I will struggle you know, and fight with Him, nail and tooth. Because He was the one who led us to begin the ministry in the first place. I will surely quarrel with him and, hey, come on lah, God, hey, you asked us to do this, now you asked us not to do this, what is this? I will surely fight with him, <laughs> argue with him. But in that vision, in that encounter, what I experienced for God, of God was both his firmness as well as his tenderness. He was just standing there, but he never moved. He never shifted. He knows what he's doing. Only when I surrendered that he let me out. It was such an encounter of gentleness and yet authority. And I experience God's goodness once again. And so as we close, I want to share and challenge us as a church. What are some lessons we can learn from this entire journey? First of all, the establishment of this ministry of Friends at Hub, I mean Buddies at Hub, really was not a mistake or a misunderstanding of God's will. From the very onset, actually, I reflect back, look at the journey. It was quite clear to some of us that from the beginning, it was meant to be a signpost an arrow telling us to go forward, to awaken our church to the assignment of reaching the Amokyo community. It was never meant to be an end in itself. It was only a channel for us to awaken us, which we did. We've been going out there in our 44th year and we have more activities planned for this year as a church to reach out to the community. 
our recently concluded church camp also further reinforced this point that outreach is not primarily through a program. I think we need to have this shift and I pray that God will help us shift this, our mindset as a church. That outreach is not just a program or primarily through a program but a missional lifestyle where we learn to spend time with people, hearing them, listening to them. That's what Jesus' way of discipleship and evangelism really was. Spending time with people. He never organized a program. He spent time with people. Second lesson, as we navigate this final season together, I believe this is not the end, but that God will bring us from this season of winter. As we go through the season of winter, there will come a season of spring, a new beginning. Interestingly, one prime minister who had been anchoring herself at Amokyu Hub shared with me this thought some time ago, way before these prayer meetings took place. God had revealed to her, once Pastor Anthony lets go, then God can come in. <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, ah, yeah, it's not that I don't want to be here, I just cannot be there. Well, how can I be physically at two places? But maybe it's true. Maybe I am the hindrance to God's work. And some of us may need to hear that word too for ourselves. God doesn't change, but we could be the greatest hindrance and obstacles to God's work because very often we try to do God's work our way instead of learning to go do God's work His way. And so it's important that I learn and all of us learn as well, we mustn't be afraid of deaths, conclusions, endings. Because unless Jesus died, He will not be resurrected. But with death, true death, comes a new beginning. And so this is the Christian way. And so I believe this closing of this chapter is a transition point as we learn to wait upon God as a church, but also as individuals. God, what is the new way you are going to lead and guide us? And so while I'm grieving on one hand, on the other hand, my heart is expectant. A bit like funeral sermon. Uh. We grieve, but not without hope. <laughs> we grieve, but not without hope because we know the one who holds the future. And with that, my third point to challenge all of us, take up the mantle of outreach for ourselves. Don't just wait for the church office or the pastor to say something, then we go. Of course, we will do our part to hear from God. But for too long, we have waited for the church or leadership to give instructions before we avail ourselves. I saw this in the entire journey of Friends at Hub. You know, we've been praying for certain groups of people like migrant workers, grab delivery riders, bus drivers, and so on and so forth. And so some people have come forward, the volunteers say, Pastor, if there's a program for migrant workers, I will come in. But you organize the program first. If there's a program to reach out to the grab riders, count me in. But you plan something first. My question is, why are you waiting for me to plan everything? <laughs> is it realistic for the pastors or the church office to plan everything? Obviously not, right? And so I pray for this new shift in our church. All of us will hear God for ourselves and come forward. So it's not just a top-down initiative, but bottom-up as well. If God has given you a burden for certain groups, start by praying. Then start by trying. Then you gather a few others to pray, come alongside. And if it grows, then you come, Pastor, this is what God is doing through us. Can we listen together huh, as a church? That's beautiful. And I pray that's the way we will move forward as a church. So together, we are stewards of God's call. Not just me. Of course, I shoulder a large responsibility. But together, we are to steward God's call as a church. 
And here I want to return to the point that Kim Boon mentioned earlier about radical generosity of time. It's very easy to say, I'm on mission with the master. Louis Lowe always made us say, mission with the master. Hey, you're on the A. <laughs> Louis, what is this? Why do you never answer? Mission with the master. Very easy to say. But who's the one out there really being on the ground? Now, this Friends and Help journey, I'm thankful for the team. For many of those who volunteered, they were all double, triple, or even quadruple hatting. We have Louis Lowe. How many things does he get involved in? With Kelvin, Rakesh, Serene, all these are your known prayer leaders, zone leaders, you know. They already have so many things on their plate. For the young adults, Yu Hong. These are the people who already have been stretched, but they have decided to put their hands to the plow. And even later on, when those who volunteered to take certain sessions, we have who? Lay leader, Audrey. LCC chair, Thomas. Zone leader, Chris. Where are the rest of the hands and feet? It's very easy to say, but who will give time? Time. That's the greatest and most precious commodity. And it all begins, first of all, like I said, time with God. If we can't even give time to God, all this, huh, I'm telling you, airy fairy. It will never happen. And so this loving rebuild is not just for you, but also for myself. Let us learn to spend time and steward the time with God. From there, everything else will find its proper place. Come, let us pray. The last slave was called wicked and lazy. O Lord, we hear your word of rebuke to us this morning. Let us not ever be called wicked and lazy. Lord, indeed, help us to live lives that will steward all that you've entrusted to us very well. Lord, I know it's tiring, but that's why we need your Holy Spirit. Because we can never be good stewards on our own strength. And so Lord, pour forth your Holy Spirit upon all of us afresh. Help us truly to be doers of this word. Teach us to spend time with you as often as we can, as much as we can. From there, everything overflows. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.